This is realestateinvestingmastery.com. Hey everybody, Joe McCall here. Welcome back to realestateinvestingmastery.com, our favorite podcast in the world. Hope you like it too. This is part two of our interview with Will Velasquez. If you've not listened to part one yet, please go back and check it out. It's very, very good. Will has a very inspiring story. He's one of those guys, man, who has been there, done that, made mistakes, had a lot of success, and it's a real testament, I think, on the power of this business. And those of you who are struggling in real estate investing and uh, trying to make money or wanting to make money in the business, this is for real. There are people out there, investors and realtors like Will, who are making the killing in real estate right now. And uh, so I hope this story inspires you a little bit. The other thing is go check out our website, realestateinvestingmastery.com, for our free fast cash survival kit. There's a lot of really cool stuff in there. Alex and I review our businesses and how we wholesale properties, how we make money just flipping properties. And it's not the only way to invest in real estate. It's probably the major emphasis of this podcast because we believe in it that much. And uh, we love talking to people who know how to make money flipping properties. They could be traditional wholesaling or, or wholesaling of lease options. And if you're not even familiar with those terms, if you don't even know what wholesaling is or what are lease options or whatever we're talking about, check out the bonus videos that we have on the website. I think you will find them very educational and enjoying, but they're absolutely free. So go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, put in your name and email in there, and you'll get it. The other thing is you'll also be emailed as soon as we release new episodes. Um, and we have transcripts that we're adding to the site every day, so we're trying to get caught up. Some pretty cool stuff there. Check it out. And we also appreciate you guys that are leaving reviews in iTunes. And I wish I had some in front of me to read right now, but I don't. <laughs> but we try to read uh, these reviews as often as we get them. So please, yeah, leave us a review in iTunes. We'd really appreciate it, and it helps with our rankings. And it helps spread the word a little bit more about what we're doing here. So having said all that, sit back, relax, enjoy part two of this interview with Will Velasquez. And at the end of this podcast, we have some really cool information to give you on how you can find out more information about Will, how you can get in touch with him. And he's got some pretty cool things that he's coming out with in the very near future that a lot of you realtors out there will probably really enjoy because lease options is a very, very hot topic right now and a very much needed issue in real estate. In fact, one of our friends that we just interviewed, Keith and Shannon, our interview with them will be released in a couple, three weeks from now. They are actually thinking of moving to a state somewhere in the south. They actually called the local board of realtors there and told them, hey, we're coming down and we have some questions about the market there and stuff like that. And they asked him about lease options. And the lady they actually talked to was just ecstatic that somebody was coming to their market who was an expert in lease options because she said, we're good at a lot of things. We're good at everything but lease options. And they actually asked this couple that are going down there to train their local realtors on lease options and lease purchasing. So in this market, when lending is tight, Sellers can't sell their house because they don't have any equity, and buyers can't buy because their credit's just not good enough yet. Lease purchasing is a great strategy for buying and selling homes in this market right now. In fact, I really believe if you want to be successful in this market, you need to be an expert in creative financing and being able to offer solutions to people who don't have any other options. So enough of me talking. Let's join into this interview part two with Will. Thanks. Right. Okay. Yeah, and so I had come across, you know, your site, Wendy Patton's information, Joe or Keith and Shannon French. And what that did is it helped open my eyes to the possibility that you could make more than just two hundred and fifty or a five hundred dollar upfront commission and then, you know, the a possibility of receiving a full commission when and if the transaction closed. A year or two down the road. A year or two down the road. And I think what I was saying just prior to getting cut out there was that my experience as an agent was just that, that you don't make money on lease options until they close. 
And so that's why most real estate agents steer clear of them is because, I mean, there's really not a lot of motivation to do that for, you know, a few hundred dollars. Right. And that's probably, well, I'll get into that a little bit more. I was going to say that's probably one of the bigger struggles I have right now working as an agent is, you know, trying to co-op with another agent and working out the compensation factor of that. Okay. But anyways... As I was doing that research, I came to that realization that I created the possibility that I, as a realtor, could actually create a viable business and do rather well by brokering lease option transactions. And so I went to work right after that designing a program that I could promote to both buyers and sellers with regards to getting enrolled as a seller to allow me to market their property, basically list their property, promote it, and help them find a tenant buyer. Right. On the buying side, having a program where we could enroll tenant buyers where we have them have their situations analyzed by a mortgage broker and, you know, for candidates who seem like a good fit for our program, help them go find a property. Good. Cool. So websites, as I'd mentioned to you, Joe, is kind of a hobby of mine. I developed uh, a hobby building websites. And actually, early on, when I was still working at the dog food plant and, and I was going to college, I was needing to scrape up money, extra money here and there, wherever I could. And so I would just sell stuff, random stuff, maybe even buy and sell stuff on eBay. Okay. And to try to make my ads look a little flashier, you know, I started to self-teach myself HTML code. Huh. And so ever since then... You know, it's always intrigued me. I've always liked it, and it, it's always kind of been a hobby of mine. And I've built several websites over the years. So I went to work building a website for the lease option program that I was creating. And so the template that you use, which is the Agent Press template, yeah. is the one that I decided to use as my template in creating the website. I also like doing sort of the graphic design stuff. And so, anyways, I created that. And went to work. I, I didn't want to go too fast, too quick, just because it was kind of a new arena for me. And there wasn't a lot of advice that my broker could offer, or really anybody else for that matter, with regards to brokering lease options. So I wanted to just get a few deals under my belt at first and kind of work out the kinks, kind of get my feet wet, understand what the dynamics of the transactions consist of, kind of get a rhythm or a template going of how I'll work these deals, what documentation, what contracts I need at working these deals as a real estate agent. I met with an attorney. Coincidentally, the attorney that I work with actually owns a title company and specializes in seller finance transactions here in Salt Lake. Yeah. And so together with that attorney, you know, put together the documentation to make sure that not only were my clients protected, you know, the buyer, the seller, but also myself and my brokerage protected in the process. Right. So I went to work putting together some deals. I, I had one listing that I had approached the seller. It was a regular listing where I approached them and asked them if I could if this, first of all, this was something that they would consider and if they would allow me to market and promote that property as a lease option. And that was kind of my test subject. Yeah. I started marketing that property. I got a lot of tips from the webinars that you would do. At the time, I couldn't afford your program. <laughs> and so I had to try to get as much free information as I could. Yeah. And at the time, I was I was giving really away a lot because of... Because you were basically at the time giving your program away for free. I think it was probably in the... <laughs> Well, I wasn't trying to give it away for free. I mean, at the time, you heard one of my first webinars that I ever did. Was it? Yeah, yeah. And it was with Steph Davis. It's, what's her website? She has a good blog. Flip, it's flipthiswholesaler.net. Yes, flipthiswholesaler.net. It's a great website. Go check it out. But anyway, I just started doing those webinars, and I found out that I was giving away way too much information, and I wasn't selling that many courses because I was giving away too much stuff. Which I still give away free content a lot, but yeah. um, when I am doing a webinar, I give away a lot less than I used to. But well, I'll tell you. I mean, I would have bought the course had I even had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I think you were offering a promotion at the time because you were just getting started and wanting to build some testimonials, and I think you'd offered some sort of incentive if you purchased it. You'd give half of the feedback if you did a deal and gave a testimonial and yeah so basically it was almost free and i couldn't even afford that at the time but well and you were talk about financially you guys you and your family were struggling at this time right i mean oh yeah weren't, absolutely didn't you tell me you were selling things on ebay to help feed your family or something like that 
it basically came to a point, and so this was after I had filed bankruptcy. Yeah. And just not finding a rhythm, you know, and still kind of crying over spilt milk. Yeah. But really being so financially strapped, it wasn't even funny. I mean, I had borrowed, so I'm still paying my mom back, right? <laughs> I mean, I borrowed so much money. Now, I, I think I pretty much got that bill taken care of. But, I mean, it came to a point one day I was at home and my, you know, it's like 10 o'clock and I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't have any groceries in the fridge. I'm thinking to myself, you know, my boys are going to be coming home from school and I can't even mm-hmm. make them sandwiches. Wow. I don't even have money. You know, and I was embarrassed to go back to my mom because I had borrowed so much money from her. And so I thought, what do I have of value? And I really didn't even have that much stuff of value anymore because I'd sold everything already. But, you know, there was a couch that I had that really was probably worth three or four hundred bucks. But I needed cash by like 12 or one so I could go buy some groceries and put them in the fridge. And so I threw it on for a hundred bucks and it obviously sold within an hour. Wow. And I met the guy and he gave me the cash and I went and bought groceries. Oh, jeez. But... <laughs> But it was that point. I mean, it was right then that I just realized, like, you know what? I got to get my shit together. Yeah. I got to go to work. You know, it was my breaking point. And it was then that I really decided, okay, let's focus. Let's go make some money. Okay. So, anyways, where were we? (laughs) You were talking about how you started doing your first deal with as a realtor, as a lease option. Now, just so I'm clear, I want to clarify this. Most realtors, when they do a lease option, there's not much in it for them. I mean, if they do it the traditional way, where normally when you do a lease, you get one month's rent as a commission and you split that between the two brokers. And then you split that with your own broker. So you maybe only get a few hundred dollars. If that. If that, which kind of stinks. And that was the same way when I started flipping lease options. I thought as an investor, I can probably only get the most is 500. And if I was really brave, I would ask for $1,000 when I flip these lease options. And then I heard somebody who keeps the entire option deposit. And I thought, holy cow, you can do it. And I just realized that I didn't know I could ask for that. And I didn't get it because I didn't ask for it. Yeah. Um, So you started realizing as a realtor, why do I have to only get this small amount in commission, right? I can get more than that. Talk about how you discovered that and well, just like you said, I mean, sometimes it takes realizing that someone else is doing it already for you to yourself believe that that's even possible. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And that's why I say, you know, it's magical to invent a possibility and then go prove that that possibility can be reality. I mean, but most of us usually believe something's possible because we see it or we hear it, not yeah. because we invent it. Okay. Yeah, it is actually through coming across you and how you were wholesaling lease options, how Keith and Shannon French were doing that, listening to Wendy Patton, some of Wendy Patton's stuff. You know, I'm like, wow, well, if they can do it as an investor, why can't I do it as a real estate agent? Good. So, yeah, I took that one listing. They agreed to let me market it as a lease option. I started marketing and promoting it. And, you know, just as I thought and just as you had stated in your program and Keith and Shannon in theirs that there was a big demand. Yeah. Right. I mean, my phone started ringing and I had a lot of people that were interested. Now, there were a lot of calls that I had to go through to get to people that actually had a decent amount of money to put down and on paper looked like someone that I felt good about putting into a lease option transaction. Right. But I mean, with as much activity as I was getting, it wasn't going to be very difficult. So I thought anyway, for that first one, I probably showed that property. And keep in mind, there was a reason why it didn't sell conventionally in the first place. I mean, it was, it's like a 850 square foot house, cute little brick bungalow, of which 450 are on the main level and 450 Ooh. are in the basement. <laughs> right? oh, wow, okay. So I probably showed it like six or seven times over the course of the next seven to 10 days and just couldn't get anybody to buy it. I had a couple of people that were like, yeah, I want it. But then, you know, they wouldn't return my calls after that. Anyways, I didn't have too much time after that because my sellers were in a position where they needed to lease it or do something. And so they actually had a relative that approached them about leasing the property. So I thought, okay, well, at least I know that there's a demand out there. So let me go see if I can't find some more listings. Nicer homes. Yeah, nicer homes, actually homes that are marketable that people want. So that's what I did. I started going to work at first just cold calling. You know, given my background, I really felt comfortable getting on the phone and just starting conversations with owners of 
properties that are either selling for sale by owner. I also started calling landlords. Hmm. I also started calling expired listings. Okay. And keep in mind, when I was doing that, when that was all I was doing, I actually became very efficient at it. And again, through that experience, it allowed me to, it created a comfort level with me where I don't have a problem picking up the phone and talking to anybody about anything really anymore. That's good. Yeah. And again, but that, it wasn't always that way. It, that came from experience. And practice. And Definitely. practice. Yeah. And realize, let me just say this, Joe, and realizing through some personal development that when someone rejects me over the phone, it has nothing to do with me personally. Mm, yeah. And it has everything to do with where they're currently at in their life, in their situation. I mean, if I call somebody and they cuss me up a storm, you know, because I'm the 17th realtor that's called them, it still really doesn't have anything to do with me. Yeah. And once I made that realization, it helped me out a lot. So. Well, that's so important. And people look mm-hmm. at telemarketing thinking, oh, that's outdated and old. Nobody, that doesn't work anymore. Well, it does. It works really well. And here's what I tell people. Look, if you're not going to do it yourself, then get somebody to do it for you. So you were targeting people who had their houses for rent and for sale in Craigslist, right? Yeah. In Craigslist was a big one. We have another classified website here locally in Utah that I think it's just for Utah, but I, I targeted that one. I also went into you know some of the other classified websites that you'll find out there randomly. I mean, and not just that, but even just yeah. driving around looking for signs for sale by owners or properties for rent. Good. And so I started picking up a few listings here and there. And again, I didn't want to grow too big too fast. So I got another two or three listings under my belt and started marketing those and started screening tenant buyers. And finally, oh, and here's the other thing too. As a real estate agent that I had the flexibility to do that maybe someone else might not is in taking a buyer who really is a good tenant buyer, and even though I don't have a property for them, working as a buyer's agent and going out and helping them find a property that is suitable for them. That's a great point. Because as an agent, it's a lot easier for you to do that. And it's a lot easier for you to show them MLS listed properties. Right? So if, if you have a buyer who has a good down payment, good income, you know that they, that's something I wanted to stress too early. Let me just get little bunny trail here. Go ahead. It's really important in the lease option business that you are ethical and that you don't put anybody into a house that you know does not have a realistic chance of buying it in a year or two down the road. Okay. So it's really important that you don't put the first person in there that can fog up a mirror who has a big enough down payment option deposit. You want to make sure they have good income, that they can afford the house, that they have a good down payment. So you know that they're serious about buying the house and uh, you have a mortgage broker or somebody on your team that can evaluate those applications you get and tell you, yeah, okay, this is what they need to do over the next one to two years to get their credit back in shape and to get a mortgage. And we feel like they have a good shot to do that. Because I know a lot of investors have taken advantage of sellers and tenant buyers in the past by putting people in there that shouldn't have been put into a home to lease option because they had no chance of getting a mortgage they would have been better served just putting them into a traditional rental property. Okay, I just wanted to say that because that's really important, I think, to try to create a win-win for everybody involved in these. Oh, yeah, that's super important, Joe. In fact, I follow kind of a rule of thumb just for my own personal business that if I wouldn't put a tenant buyer in my own property, then I'm not going to go put them in someone else's. Very good. You're helping people now find the dream of home ownership. I read somewhere there's 10 million sellers who don't have any equity who want to sell their house but can't, all right? These aren't people who are upside down. They're not people facing foreclosure behind on payments. These are sellers that are current on their mortgage. They don't have any equity. They can't even afford to pay a realtor. They want to sell their house but just can't do it. And there's like 30 million buyers who want to buy a house but can't, okay? (laughs) Wow. That's a lot. That is Um, a lot. So they're out there. There's a lot of them out there, and they're looking for people like you that can help them put them together. So you were talking about how one of the advantages to being an agent is now that you find a buyer who has a good down payment, has good income, they want to, they're tired of just moving around and renting a home. They want to have something that's more permanent. They want to rebuild their credit and eventually buy a house. So they contact you and you don't have a house that they like. So what do you do then? You help them find another house? 
Yeah, so I'll have them initially just go through my pre-screening process. I'll have them fill out my application on my website. I'll, ha- I'll forward that application onto our mortgage lender. And once the mortgage lender you know, comes back to me and says, hey, these guys look like a good candidate for a lease option or a seller finance, then I will set up an appointment with the client and then go to work putting together some properties to show them. Good. Now, and I've got some strategies with regards to you know an efficient way to do that. Yeah. But the important thing is you know finding you know good properties that so that way you only have to go out you know once. Can you find homes on the MLS that are listed that are available for lease purchase, or are you sending them to homes that are available for rent or for sale, and then asking the owners if they would consider a lease purchase? A mixture of both usually. I actually prefer to show them properties that are not listed simply for the reason that, like I'd mentioned earlier, that's one of the tough parts of my of doing these deals as an agent is co-oping with another agent who has no experience brokering lease purchase or seller finance transactions. Even if the agent has stipulated in their listing that lease option is a, an availability under the terms yeah. of that listing, usually what I've found is that... Agents are marking that checkbox in their listings simply because the owners have asked them to. Like the, the owners are desperate to find a solution, but when you actually ask the agent about, you know, possibly doing one, they're still kind of trying to shy you away from, you know, either presenting them an offer, showing it, or even if you know they do, you know, they're letting you know that you're not going to make any money up front. That you know you're not going to get paid on the deal until it closes. Wow. So. But I will. I mean, I'll go into the MLS and see if I can find some. So I spend some time educating agents with regards to what possibilities there are with working, you know, the lease option transactions as a normal transaction as opposed to whatever, you know, ideas they have about how it should or shouldn't work. And so I'll put some listings together and then I'll also go into, you know, Craigslist or some of the other classified ad websites that where, you know, I can find for sale by owners or for rent by owners and find properties that might match that criteria. And then I just have, you know, the dialogue that I'll go through with the seller or the landlord uh, with regards to possibly entertaining the possibility of doing a lease purchase or a seller finance with my client. Good. Now, do you find that there are a larger amount of properties listed on the MLS as lease purchase than there was a year or two ago? No, I've actually tracked those numbers, Joe, and there's it's actually less. Really? Yeah. But when I first started a little over a year and a half ago, there were on the MLS, just doing a random search of everything, there was over 800, which what I found out was really high. I didn't know how high that was okay. until I went to another market. We can talk about that here in a little bit, but... Yeah, there were around 800, and that's total. That's condos. That's probably including land, commercial, everything. I do that same search now, and it's down to under 600. I'm surprised. Well, but here's the thing. What I've noticed, too, is that awareness has grown, and there have been far more lease option transactions. So I honestly personally think that it has a little more to do with the consumption of the inventory rather than the fading of you know, there being lease options available. More people are saying, yeah, that's something I want to do until these homes are going faster. Oh, yeah. Since I started brokering lease options, there's been quite a few more agents that have caught on. And I think here locally, it's been mostly due in part to this attorney that I work with actually does regular bi-monthly training courses CE classes for realtors on lease options and seller finance. And so I think that has significantly contributed to you know, the growth in brokering lease options and seller finances here in my local market. That's an opportunity somebody may have in their own market. They could they have a title company or an attorney or even themselves as a realtor. They could have classes for agents in their market. I, there's just a big demand for any... I think in this market, in this economy, you've got to be an expert in creative financing, whether it's lease options or seller financing. I don't see us turning around in this market for at least another three to four years, maybe more, because there's so much unsold inventory out there and there's so many foreclosures that the banks still own that they haven't released yet. You know, Until that inventory gets through, which could be a long time, there's still yeah. going to be a big demand for these types of transactions, more creative type of financing. 
Okay, so cool. You're showing buyers homes, and, and if you don't have something they like, you can probably find something else for them. Yeah. But you're also getting a bunch of properties under contract. Well, I don't say under contract, under listing agreement. Can you talk a little bit about how the paperwork works for you real briefly doing these deals as a realtor? Yeah, well, basically, well, and I'll step back just a little bit. After I put together two or three of these deals, I realized the potential that there was to really turn the volume up on what I was doing. And at the time, I thought, well, you know, I better talk to my broker about what I'm doing because, you know, this is kind of outside of the box and I want to make sure that he's on board. Because I've always done stuff more kind of like you used to talk about, Joe, like ready, fire, aim. You know, I just want to get out and do it and see if it works. And then, you know, we'll work out the details later. So... I did. I approached him and I talked to him about, you know, this is what I'm doing now. Make sure he's on the same page see if he has any issues or questions with how I'm structuring this. And what he suggested was that we talk to an attorney, which I already had, but he further wanted to make sure that, that obviously him and the brokerage were protected from liability. And so he talked to, I don't know, his attorney or the attorney for the E&O insurance and what he discovered is that in order for us to continue to be covered under our E&O insurance, we have to use state-approved forms. So I have uh-huh. to use a state-approved listing agreement and the state-approved lease with option to purchase agreements in putting those transactions together. Now, for buyers your, and sellers. You say state-approved. As realtors, we have state-approved forms that we're required to use. But uh, do you actually have a state, you know, realtor board-approved lease option agreement? Yeah. There is. My, yeah, our association, our board does have a lease with option to purchase agreement. And that's the one I've used from the beginning. Now, I I know in St. Louis, we used to have one and they removed it from the list of approved documents. But what realtors started doing was just using a lease and a sales contract with a closing date a year or two in the future, and then just including an addendum. And the rule basically, and this is pretty across the board, is if you're going to use a document that is not one of the realtors approved contracts you have to have an attorney prepare that document for you and so basically realtors i know here have an attorney that has prepared like an addendum to kind of clarify the lease purchase language and in using that addendum in combination with the lease and the sales contract right okay so you have a state approved or board approved lease option agreement that you use all right yep and then you have your listing agreement, right? And then I have a listing agreement, and then I've got an addendum that I add to that listing agreement. Okay. Your listing agreement, tell me how the commission works. How do you spell that out in the listing agreement? Uh, well, on my listing agreement, I stipulate that the first 3% of the down payment option deposit that the tenant buyer delivers is the listing commission. Mm-hmm. Anything above and beyond the 3% goes to the owner as a non-refundable deposit. Okay. So you're making so. 3% up front. Yeah. So when I list a property, the sellers are under the understanding that the first 3% of the option deposit is my fee. Excellent. And I don't have it yet. I mean, I, I think we may or may not change this here in the near future because I'm not charging anything on the back end when the tenant buyer actually purchases the property. I basically let them know that that 3% fulfills their obligation to compensate me, you know, and, but we'll continue to see it through. Okay. Because we're, we still have that, those tenant buyers in our network. We're still working together with the lender, helping them get through the process of being able to purchase the property. You could, if you wanted to, but right now you're not. I think I probably could easily do that. I just haven't, probably more so out of not putting any time and attention to it, but just add, you know, another percent on the tail end or maybe even two percent, whatever, you know. I mean, what if if you found a property that was listed that expired, the seller was expecting to pay 6% commission, couldn't you just keep the same price, get 3% at the front end and 3% at the back end? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, again, if I haven't done it yet, it's simply due to me not focusing on putting the systems in place to do that. Okay. All right. But there's opportunity for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there definitely is. I mean, but you also need to be conscious and aware of, you know, similar to not putting a tenant buyer into a property that you wouldn't put in your own home. Yeah. Same thing with a seller. I mean, I've kind of gone through the same rule of thumb that, you know, because some sellers just are too 
far upside down to push a purchase price. You know, if a tenant buyer is really going to be ready to buy in one to two years, you know, and you realistically don't think that the house is going to be able to appraise even with some moderate appreciation, then, you know, it's probably not a property that we'd take on into our program. Right. And so, you know, only charging 3% allows me to kind of keep that price kind of in line. Because, I mean, let's face it, I mean, owners who are looking to do a or open to doing lease options or seller finance, usually, more often than not, I should say, have are up at the peak of what the property's worth. So, mm-hmm. uh, But, you know, even if it is close, you could extend the lease option out to three or four or five years, couldn't you? Yeah, I'm not saying I totally decline a listing just because it, okay. you know, there's no equity to add my commission. It's just some of them are so grossly out of line that it doesn't make sense. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So now you're doing these deals as an agent. Talk a little bit about how it just started snowballing and getting bigger and bigger for you. Well, I started automating my business a little more by adding some help. Started off by hiring a couple of VAs. I was on a little webinar that you and Alex had done about virtual assistants a little while back. And already by then I had a virtual assistant. I'm really intrigued by how Alex uses his virtual assistants very efficiently, you know, and I'd recommend anybody to listen to that course because that's a great course. Do you guys still have it for $97? I think what you're talking about is a course Alex did with Chris Chico. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. Virtual assistants. And he does sell it. In fact, I was just talking to Alex yesterday. He's combining it with, he has another little course on 17 sneaky wholesaling tricks. And he is coming out with a new course on finding special estate deals, a little trick Mm -hmm. he has to find those. And so he's going to be combining those three little mini courses together. That's cool. In the close near future. But it was a a great course. I did go through it. And basically he just talked about how he finds, hires, and trains his VAs. And he actually has the VAs that actually will um, return the phone calls, make the phone calls, follow up with the sellers, and actually make initial cash offers to the sellers to determine their motivation. Uh, When I heard that, Alex doing that, that really ramped up my excitement for virtual assistants. And right now I currently have three or four virtual assistants. I'm working with Gil. We did an interview with him recently. We have about four VAs that are actually just doing cold calls for us and for our students all over the country and asking them if they want to do a lease purchase or if they want to sell their house. It's actually working really well. And I'm a big, big believer in using virtual assistants because if anybody's like me, I'm not as disciplined as Will is. (laughs) Okay. But if anybody's like me, you can say, man, I got to do all this marketing. If I don't get somebody else to do it, it just doesn't get done. If I was in that coaching program, Will, I probably would have hired a bunch of VAs to, <laughs> to do all that marketing for me. Can you do that in that coaching program? Is that- <laughs> well, it's funny because back then, I don't know that VAs were as popular as they are now. Yeah. That was in early 2000s. But <laughs> yeah, I think I would have done the same thing. <laughs> I would have. Yeah, I could double that. I can. So I would have had a VA do all that for me. But if you're just getting started, don't think like, man, you have to have a VA to do your first deal. No, absolutely not. In fact, I would almost recommend against it until you do maybe your first one or two or three deals. Yeah. To, to really understand the dynamics of what you need someone else to do. I mean, um, you know, you should be able to to do it before you're teaching someone else to do it. Right. But Okay, good. So, yeah, I started putting together some help to start automating because, yeah, even though I may be disciplined, realtors traditionally have kind of this rut that they fall into and that is you know you prospect you market you generate leads generate 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 and then you've got business and you start working that business you start working with those clients you start working with the buyers the sellers showing houses putting deals together following through on the escrows seeing the properties to closing and then what happens when you do that is all of a sudden you don't have any fresh leads coming in so you know it's this vicious cycle you know like a yo-yo that you know, you're really busy and then you make a lot of money and then all of a sudden you don't have any business. You mm-hmm. spend all your money and then you've got to go back to work, you know, generating the leads and then you've yeah. got to ramp back up again. That's a great point because that's what I was finding in my own business. Get a lot of deals, work real hard to sell them and then all of a sudden I realize I don't have any more leads coming in. <laughs> yeah. So then I work real hard on that part and it's just this huge up and down. And that's when I decided I have to get somebody to do this marketing for me every day. 
in spite of me, get somebody to do it for me. That way I always have that fresh pipeline coming in of leads. Very good. So yeah, that's what I did. I hired a couple of virtual assistants to help me do the data mining, help me get messages out to sellers, either by email, by text message. I did a little bit of direct mail early on. But getting that part of my business automated, I think, is really what helped me take my business to the next level because, you know, all of a sudden, and not only that, but I also worked on putting some systems together and driving traffic to my website to where I could drive the traffic there, the buyers and the sellers could educate themselves, and I used my website as a big lead generating hub. Hmm. And oftentimes, I mean, I don't know how many times I have had sellers sign up on my website. I've never even talked to them. I mean, they sign, actually fill out the listing agreement. They submit the information about their property. They upload the photos themselves. And early on, I haven't started using DocuSign up until about three or four months ago. DocuSign. Up until then, DocuSign, yeah, yeah, to actually have them digitally sign them. Uh-huh. But I would be having sellers you know, print out the Again, this is a listing agreement. This isn't like just a one page. Here, go do this. This My listing agreement, I think, is four or five pages long at least. They print it out, fill it out, sign it, and send it back. And how many people have fax machines anymore? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. (laughs) You have to go drive. You know, Maybe not many people ever have ever had them, but I know a lot fewer people have fax machines now than they did a few years ago. So you never leave your office hardly anymore. You have sellers fill out these agreements online, fill out your listing agreements online. So you're not driving around town all day meeting with sellers and trying to do your presentation. It's either here it is, this is what we have. If you're interested, great. <laughs> fill this, yeah. go to my website. And they're even finding your website and filling out these agreements. That's, wow, it's beautiful. I love Joe, it. Joe, let me just share this. The biggest commission I made this year was on a property where I never saw, I still haven't seen the house. (laughs) And I only met the seller at the closing table in person. That's awesome. It was an $18,000 commission on a home in Salt Lake. Well, $18,000, folks. I was going to say I one-up you. I can one-up you on that, but (laughs) I didn't make $18,000. But lately in my business, I have actually, I got it set up now where I don't even ever meet the seller. It's just my uh, local realtor will get all the paperwork signed for me and just meet me somewhere to give me the check. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, it is. That's the great thing about this business. If it's automated, if it's set up properly, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you got your website now that is doing a lot of the heavy lifting for you. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of it is driving the traffic there. I mean, like I was saying, I've got some experience in web design and you know, I've developed some techniques over the years for being able to drive traffic to the website. And so, in, and then from there, it just becomes a numbers game. You know, the more traffic you can drive, I mean, a certain percentage of those people are going to, you know, if they're a buyer, they're going to submit and they're going to give you their information. Or if they're a seller, you know, they're going to list. You know, and often I find sellers, though, still want to at least have a, con- they're at the point where they're just about ready to list the property, but they do want to have a conversation with somebody. Okay you know, just to answer a few questions. And usually it's just more so maybe them getting over to the comfort level of, you know, here, I'm going to list my property, one of my biggest assets ever, you know, and I haven't even met the guy or talked to him. So I would say probably 60 to 70% of owners probably still call me just before they list their properties. Okay. Well, that's incredible. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I just interviewed a student who he actually lease optioned eight homes in December, one of the slowest months of the year. So he actually got tenant buyers for eight properties, did very, very good. And he's recently started sending postcards and he's been testing this. He sent out postcards and, you know, you just tell people, look, this is, he's not a realtor. He was telling people it doesn't cost you anything because I get paid from the tenant buyer. But one of his biggest objections was, oh, this sounds too good to be true. And he would try to explain to them, no, it's not. But then what he decided to start doing and testing was charging. He started charging sellers to get their property under contract. And he started charging $500 and nobody would do it. And then he started charging $250 and a few did. But then he started charging $49. So now what he does is he just, that's kind of the, he's tested it and that's the sweet spot there. He's He just sends postcards out. And he doesn't even give a phone number on the postcard. He says, go to this website, and if you want to do a lease purchase on your house, 
fill out this form and pay. He has a PayPal button. You pay the 49 bucks. And he just started <laughs> doing this. And he sent out, a, I think he said 500 postcards or something and got a couple sellers that went to his website. And even on the website, he doesn't even give a phone number out. And he had wow. a couple sellers fill out his contract online and paid the 49 bucks. And so anyway, just think about that. Maybe something that you guys listening could possibly implement in your own market. Yeah. Well, and I've been doing a lot of research just mostly recently with regards to the psychology of buyers and that. And, you know, one of the things that I've discovered is a lot of times people don't place as much value on something if they get it for free. Yeah. And so by charging for the same information that they might get for free, they actually value it more. It's almost like, you know, you value a dollar that you had to work hard for more than a dollar that was given to you. Well said. So. You're starting to use DocuSign more, which is a, um, they do have a free version that you could use where you can think you can send out one agreement at a time. But if you want to set it up where they actually, it's called PowerForms, that is a little more expensive. Are you using PowerForms or what are you doing with DocuSign there? No, I should probably get on PowerForms. Right now, I'm, I'm on the paid service. Okay. I want to say I paid a couple hundred bucks, 200 to 30 or something for the year. So you have to email. You have to physically email the agreement, right? Yes, and that's one of the things I have a virtual assistant do. Okay. Is you know as soon as a listing comes across, they immediately like there's a trigger, a text message response. I think that goes to my VA, and you know within five to ten minutes, we're getting that listing agreement out through DocuSign. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Great, great. So let's see what else is there to talk about. You're now doing a bunch of deals. Uh, talk a little bit about you know the last year. How many of these lease options do you do on average a month or how many have you done in the last year? Well, the first half of the year was a little less than the second half of the year. Okay. And then again, I think it's just a matter of that trajectory curve. I mean, it really kind of snowballed from the second half of the year through the end. But last year, I closed a total of 53 transaction sides. Excellent. And that grossed me a commission just over 200000 Oh, fantastic. That's yeah. A, that's a lot of stinking money. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's been awesome. I, <laughs> and, I'm and a little speechless. You have, you have virtually no competition. You're providing a service. And I love this because you found where the need was and you asked yourself, how can I fill that hole? How can I fill yeah. that need? And there was that book that came out, Who Moved My Cheese?, and it's all about, you know, when change happens, are you going to freak out and cry like a baby? Or are you going to find out where your cheese went and move to where the cheese is? And uh, that's what exactly what you've done. You found out where the need was. And it may be in three, four, five years. I still think you could do these types of deals, but the cheese may move again. Yeah. And you have the foresight to know, okay, well, when it moves again, I'm going to have to adjust. And so your business is always constantly adjusting and, and improving and becoming more and more efficient. But Yeah. Uh, and that's one thing I pride myself in is being flexible. Yeah. You know, not really getting stuck in anything, having to be or, or look any certain way. You know, it's more of, you know, what makes more sense. Okay. Good. Anyways, and I would say probably of, of all the deals I did last year, probably 80% maybe even a little bit more than 80% were either lease purchase, lease option, or seller finance transactions. Because you're doing so much marketing, you can find other traditional listings and other buyers who maybe can't afford a property, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and can get a mortgage, right? Yeah, exactly. You can even, I, since you're a realtor, refer deals to other realtors and get uh, some commissions from them. Do you ever do that? No, I'll usually handle it myself. I mean, now I have a licensed administrative assistant where, I mean, she doesn't, she may go out on an appointment, go open up some doors for me if I'm not available or if more so my, actually, I have a buyer's agent, a full-time buyer's agent who just now works all of the buyer leads that come in. Okay. So usually we'll refer them to her. Now, how do you pay your staff? If you don't mind me asking, do you pay them on a commission basis? I have my administrative assistant on a flat salary. Okay. And my buyer's agent, I pay her a percentage of the deals that she puts together. So basically, all of the leads, I mean, we have leads coming in every day. 
And so her job is to screen through the leads that we've got, qualify the leads that look good, and of the ones that are qualified, go find them a house. Hmm, okay. And so the way we've got it set up right now, she gets 35% of the gross commission that's brought in okay. off of that sale. So if, say, for example, she gets a buyer who's got $10,000 down and they're looking for a $200,000 house, the commission on that deal to our side would be 6000 So she would make probably a little over $2,000 on that deal. Nice. And then the balance of that obviously comes into my business operating account. You're taking care of your people. That's why I love this business is because it's so easy to outsource the different parts that you either can do yourself or, but you don't want to. You need to find out what's the most efficient use of your time, right? Where you get the most bang for your dollar, what's your biggest return on time? And what have you found for you, Will, to be the best return on your time? What's the most important thing for you to do that you can't outsource? Well, that may be a tough question for me to answer because I'm looking to, I'm in the process of fully automating my business. Ah. And so I don't know that (laughs) I really want to have myself look at what do I have to do. I'm more, the question I'm asking myself is what am I doing that I don't have to do? Okay. And to answer that question, it's probably what I'm having a tougher time giving up is talking to the sellers that inquire about our program because I think it just comes back to my experience in sales training and just years of experience in talking to owners. I think I have an ability to be able to communicate with an owner and have them feel comfortable about going ahead and signing on the dotted line much quicker than maybe someone else who doesn't have as much experience. The efficiency rate, you know, we've tested that with my assistants and my assistants just don't convert as many as I would. Mm-hmm. But then again, I mean, it's a numbers game, you know? So, I mean, if I convert, you know, three out of five where my assistants, you know, convert two out of five, you know, that just means we need to ramp up the marketing and have them talk to more people. Mm-hmm. So that's my philosophy too, because I could do more deals if I did more of the marketing myself. But I don't know if that's even true because I'm certainly limited on what I can do. And if I could ramp up my marketing, if I could only talk to 20 sellers, or have my VAs talk to 50 sellers, you know, maybe it's a good trade-off. Yeah. But, um, that's cool. All right, so, Will, what advice would you give to somebody that wants to work full-time in real estate? Maybe it's in your position, but, you know, you left your job. You took quite a radical jump from working <laughs> in a dog food business to getting your license and then quitting. Um, would you recommend that to people? Or what would you recommend to people? Yeah, I mean, for me to say I recommend that, I think it depends on the person and their level of commitment to what they're pursuing. Uh But I find, I mean, for myself personally, that one of the most powerful things that you can do in your life is make a decision about something. When you truly actually make a decision, when you decide on something, you are cutting off all of your other options. One of my mentors used to tell me that when you decide to do something, the suffix side Hmm. has a Latin meaning to it. That means to kill. I mean, if you think of some of the other words that have the suffix side in it, like suicide, pesticide, homicide. Wow. So when you decide to do something, you're actually killing off all of the other options, all of the other possibilities, and narrowing your focus to one possibility. Hmm. And so there's something really kind of magical that happens when you truly decide to do something. You know, and so when I made that leap, I mean, and I've done that several times throughout my career in real estate, you know, when you decide to do something and you go full force in that, so like you leave yourself no other options but to succeed. Or in my eyes, to die, you know, I mean, because it, it really, truly would have felt like I was going to die if I didn't, right. you know, provide for my family when I got into real estate. Right. I would say, to answer your question, Joe, I would say make a decision, you know, throw your hat over the fence and give it everything that you have, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, really give it your full attention and your full commitment. And then once you decide on something, what's available to you after you make that decision 
is you're left with what's next, like the question, like, okay, I've decided, now what? And then in answering that question, you start to see the answers, which is, you know, taking action really is what's next. And so you start looking for what is the next action that I need to take. And I think that's what's really helped me in my business is being at that point and saying, okay, I know where I want to be. And if you look at the full scope of it, you can easily get overwhelmed. But I really just look at right now, what do I have to do right now in this moment? What is pending to get me moving in that direction? I love that. It's really good. And obviously having a coach helped you. (laughs) I mean, yeah, no, absolutely. For five or seven years, that's an incredible coaching program. I love it. But you had a coach to help you hold you accountable and walk you through that stuff. It's very good. Okay. I I got another question for you. Go ahead. Give us some advice for somebody who's gone through a bankruptcy. I know we talked about that a little bit, but you know, there's a lot of people out there and I think that we struck a lot of chords with people. Do you have any advice you'd give to somebody who's been through a bankruptcy or foreclosure, who's hit some rough economic times, maybe don't see a light at the end of the tunnel? What would you say to them? Well, I kind of already touched on that earlier. Yeah. And I'll go back to that is acknowledge where you are in your life and sort of make peace with the past. Mm. You know, I mean, really acknowledge that, hey, I may have made some mistakes. I may be the victim of other people's wrongdoings. Yeah. You know, there may be some people I'm holding some grudges against. And as long as you're holding on to all of that stuff, you're not going to be moving forward. You know, and so by making peace, for me, I kind of, this is something I kind of do often in my life is, you know, anytime I find myself stuck, struggling, upset, like there's these key things that help me realize, okay, I've got to take a step backwards and do this. But it's what, what's really so right now? Like, what is it that is standing in my way? What am I actually making it mean? You know, so like when I had just gotten out of that bankruptcy, I mean, I had filed bankruptcy and now I'm trying to go back to work, but yet I'm not being effective at work. Well, it's because I'm still thinking about, wow, that's really crappy what happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and as long as I'm holding on to that, it's not giving me the freedom to move forward because there's still kind of some unfinished business there. So I just for myself may like, forgave myself for having put my family through that, for having made decisions that led me to have to file bankruptcy in the first place. And so I forgave myself. I forgave people that maybe I was holding grudges against. And that even entailed having a couple real conversations with people like, hey, look, I was kind of making you wrong for this. And I want to acknowledge the fact that I get that you didn't intentionally do anything to me. And I want to let you know that I've been holding on to that. And that's actually impacted our relationship. Hmm. And so I want to ask for your forgiveness and let you know that that's not what I'm committed to anymore. I'm not committed to living in the past. What I'm committed to now is where am I going? Where can I take my family? And where can we maybe start on a new foot? That's good. I appreciate you sharing that, Will. And going back and touching on that, because I think, again, that's just... It's really important for people to, to hear that. I got two more things for you. Next thing here I want to ask you is if you were dropped into a new city, let's say you were sent to L.A., okay, and, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you were to start from scratch. You didn't know anybody out there, and you wanted to start doing some deals in L.A., what would you do? What, would you, what were some of the first things you'd do to get started to start making some money? Okay. Well, I don't know if I can fully answer that question unbiased. (laughs) Well, pick another city then. (laughs) Because I've actually been to LA and and planted some roots there. Yeah. But to answer your question, I think I can narrow it down to some very basic things. And, you know, we can talk a little bit more about what I've started creating here in in a little bit. But yeah, we will. Some very basic things that I would start by doing is, I mean, first of all, I've actually thought about this because, you know, I've looking at how do I expand, how do I grow. But first, obviously, looking to either get familiar right away with what laws may impact the business that I'm about to start. You know, so probably meeting with a real estate attorney and finding out, okay, what, if anything, do I need to know? Connecting with a broker who is on board with me focusing on this niche market 
And right away, I would probably just start calling owners of properties. I mean, I would probably just use, you know, Craigslist to find either for sale by owners, for rent by owners. I'd probably get into the database of expired listings. I'd probably try to put at least five to 10 listings under my belt right away. You know, and I I think I could probably accomplish that within a two to four week period. And then market the heck out of those properties. At that point, I would probably hire a VA. I mean, just given my own experience, but you're saying someone new. So someone new, I'd say probably get two or three properties under your belt, start marketing those properties, develop yourself a schedule that you follow every day, like a routine. I used to have a checklist that I'd go through. I wasn't great at like a schedule at like 835, I do this. I more went off of a checklist, you know, so my checklist used to look like, you know, contact 10 owners, follow up on five leads throw, you know, renew my Craigslist ads. You know, so I would have a checklist of items that I did every day to make sure that I stayed consistent. The only schedule part of that that I would do is I would make sure that I started every day at the same time to create some consistency, to make sure that I didn't fall into that trap that we were talking about earlier where you start getting busy and then you stop doing the important things in your business. Right. So I would have a routine that I did every morning. And the reason I do it in the morning is because there's not a lot of things that can interrupt you if you start early enough. You know, So maybe doing your marketing, getting your ads out there, doing the things that need to be done every day that maybe an assistant would do in the future, doing those repetitively at a certain time of the day every day. And then that would open you up to you know, either go on appointments or take listings or show buyers or do whatever else you needed to do in the afternoon. So certainly having a checklist schedule. Well, that's important. That sounds really minor. And for some people who hate checklists, they may cringe at that. But I think that's super, super critical because that's going to help you hold yourself accountable, right? To right. See those things are being done. Absolutely. And I used to score myself. So like, let's say if I had 10 things on my checklist, I would apply a percentage score to each item so that by the end of the week, I knew how kind of I graded. So say, for example, if I only got eight things done on my checklist for the day, then I only got 80% for that day. And then I'd average it out at the end of the week and say, wow. okay, I was you know, 75% effective this week. Huh. I never thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I had 20 items and each <laughs> item was only worth 5%, uh, you know? I'd probably be pretty beaten up and bruised if I did that to myself. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So you'd go out and you'd flip lease options. You would try to do them as a realtor, but you could do them as an, as an investor if you needed to, if you wanted to. Now, you've tried doing both, doing flipping lease options as a realtor, as an investor. What do you prefer? I feel more comfortable doing it as a realtor. Okay. And I really don't have a ton of experience flipping them as an investor. But, I mean, I think it's just because it's, uh, you know, that's the branch I was cut off of is yeah from real estate. I mean, I've been in real estate since I was 22 as an agent, so. Yeah. All right, so. You would start taking action. You move to a new city. You would start making phone calls. Just start. I'd start by making phone calls. I mean, let's just add to that. I didn't have any money. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just start making phone calls and talking to sellers, educating them about what's possible. As easy as that. Doesn't get too complicated. Yeah, it really doesn't. Getting some properties under my belt and marketing them, and then generating those buyer leads, picking the cream of the crop buyers, and then going out and finding them properties. Good. All right. Now, something I'm real excited about. LeaseOptionPro.com, you've decided to take another big leap of faith and create a kind of like a course and a coaching program. I get the feeling that you have a passion to teach and you're very good at it. You have some great ideas on coaching and helping people learn these business, but you've created a product or a course or a coaching program specifically designed for realtors wanting to learn more about lease options, right? I have, and actually just based off of an idea that you planted in my head just maybe, what, a month and a half ago or so. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm looking at your website. <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> you did this all by yourself? Uh, yeah. And, uh, well, this- again, I like building websites, so it was fun for me to do it. Oh, this is great. Really good. In fact, I just thought of some things I need to uh, tell you to do. But anyway, t- that you need to probably fix on your website – so hopefully when people see this, by the time this podcast release, there'll be a few little things here. But I think this is fantastic what you've done. Uh, there's a huge demand, a huge need for this. And a lot of people listening to this podcast are realtors or are maybe thinking about getting their license. 
And I'm going to start referring everybody to you. And I made the mistake of doing that before. And they went to your regular real estate website and uh, you started getting flooded with calls. <laughs> right. And I, I apologize to some of those folks that I really didn't wasn't able to get to. And yeah. it's not necessarily that I wasn't able to. I, I really, when I focus on something, I usually just focus on that. And so anyways, if anybody needs to get a hold of me, I think this is probably the best avenue to do that now. Right. Leaseoptionpro.com. So talk a little bit about what it's going to be about. Well, basically, after talking to you, you know, it really kind of planted a seed in my head. And then again, being the ready, fire, aim type of personality that I am, yeah. I did. I, there's that keyword again. I made a decision, right, to yeah. go ahead and create a course, something that, you know, back when I was searching for something that I would find valuable, something where. I could learn from someone who I could relate to because they were doing it just like I was thinking about doing it. Yeah. You know, so really I'm specializing in the niche of educating real estate agents and brokers how to not only find and put together these lease option and seller finance deals, but how to make sure that you get compensated what your services are worth yeah, up good. front. Good. So, yeah, and basically in a nutshell, that's what it is. I mean, I've put together, I should say I'm putting together because mm -hmm. I, I mean, I've only been working on it about a month, month and a half or so. Yeah. But putting together, it's a membership site where you can get regular content um, with information that I'm putting out there. I mean, uh, I'll have a blog that I'm updating regularly. I plan on putting together webinars on a monthly basis where I can educate agents and brokers also, I'd like to interview other agents that, yeah. that have, I haven't met hardly any, actually, but I know that they're out there that are focusing on lease options and seller finance transactions, and I'd like to learn in the process. I mean, that's part of the reason that I decided to create this community of lease option real estate agents is to be able to learn and grow from each other. Yeah, so. very good. Well, we'll talk offline. I can send you some. But, okay. Um, awesome. I think what you're doing here is fantastic, and there's a huge need for it. Me not being a realtor, I've not been able to really help people who are licensed agents who want to wholesale properties, other than teach them what I have and then just say, try to use your documents <laughs> instead. <laughs> right. You know? Right. But this is really, really good. And, and you're going to, I love this website. You have some really cool things in here that you're working on. And hopefully, by the time that this podcast is released, this stuff is ready to go. And from what I see right now, this is a great website. You are going to be giving out a lot of really good content. And I just want to encourage people to take advantage of this. Now, I'm not, I don't make any money from referring or recommending this product to you. I think Will is a stand-up guy. And I know that if you get your hands on this, if you have any interest in learning how to do lease options as a realtor and make a little bit more money than most realtors do when they do these kinds of transactions, you've got to go to this website, check it out leaseoptionpro.com. Will has some really good blog posts in here about six things I always include when presenting a lease option offer to a seller. Starting is the second most important step you can take. The first decision is to decide, or the first thing you have to do is decide. That's the first step. So really good stuff in here. Will, I sure appreciate you taking the time to let me pick your brain and ask you these questions and to share your personal story. I think it's inspiring. And uh, you, you have a lot of awesome things ahead of you. I appreciate that, Joe. It's been a treat for me. So all my pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. And by the way, those comments have finally come up in iTunes. And I wanted to review, read some of these comments real quick from the uh, podcast. This here is a comment from Barb Doll 26 I think it's Barbara. She says, Joe, I love your podcast. I'm thankful for all the good information you provide. I look forward to working with you and keep up the good work. I can see you're the real deal. She says, somebody else here says, B-G-I-L-L-C. My husband and I have been students of Joe and Alex for over a year and have found their information to be very thorough and up-to-date in the current real estate environment. We always walk away feeling that they have given us more information than we were expecting. These podcasts give a wealth of information for people who are new to real estate investing as well as to the seasoned investor. We sure appreciate the reviews you guys are leaving. There's a bunch more here. Please, if you like this show, if you like this podcast, go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review. We sure appreciate it, and I hope to read yours 
on the next episode. So thanks again, Will, and we'll see you guys later, okay? Go to realestateinvestingmastery.com and get our free bonus on there, the free fast cash survival kit. See you guys. Thanks, Joe.